Welcome to episode 33 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen with host Matt Payne. Hey, this week's guest is none other than a fellow landscape photographer and fellow podcaster, Nick Page. We had a fantastic time talking about his journey into landscape photography, um, his podcast, um, the Out of Moab conference that's coming up in 2018, uh, the recent news about Escalante and Bears Ears, which is a total bummer in my opinion. Uh, social media and, and workshops and photography. And um, just the, the journey of getting better and what that looks like and why that's important. A um, couple of new things this week. Um, I really, really, really encourage my listeners to check out... Uh, if you're looking at if you're looking for a for a website to host your photo- photos and sell your f- photography prints, um, a friend of mine, uh, Jack Brower, who I'm actually going to have on the podcast uh, next week, um, he actually designs amazing um, websites for photographers. It's called Wide Range Galleries. He does um, the website for Mark Adamus, uh, my friend Kane Engelbert, uh, Eric Stenslin, tons of other people. Check them out and uh, mention you heard about it on the podcast. Um, and, uh, have, of course, um, remember to uh, check out uh, my Patreon page. It's uh, uh, www.patreon.com slash f-stop uh, and listen, or f-stop collaborate and listen, I remember. There'll be a link in the liner notes. Um, and uh, consider uh, contributing to the podcast. You get access to some cool stuff. I just got done sending out my first batch of um, bumper stickers to people, which I think are pretty cool. Um, And as always, uh, feel free to reach out to me on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that fun stuff, Matt Payne Photography and Matt Payne Photo. Hope you liked the episode. Thanks. Nick Page, it's awesome to have you on the podcast, fellow podcaster. Yeah, I know. I, this is cool. I was just <laughs> listening to you the other day, and and now you're like in my headphones again. But <laughs> only, only it's like works. an interactive thing we got going on. So this is cool. Thanks for having me on, man. Yeah, for sure. I've uh, I've been enjoying the the Facebook group that you created. Um, it's been a lot of interesting conversations going on in there. Yeah, it's it's taken a little bit of like. I don't know, learning on everybody's part, because like a lot of photographers, when you join a Facebook group, it turns into just kind of like this dump ground of like, this is where I go to post photos. And, and the landscape photography podcast, Facebook group was kind of turning into that. So I had to like, kind of lay down the law and I'd be like, all right, guys, now, seriously, I don't (laughs) want this to be another one of those. Because that's the thing about those kind of pages is you seldom go to interact with people. You just go there to be, like post a photo and have people pat you on the back. And it just kind of turns into that. So I've kind of had to change the rules and make sure that people were like actually asking for criticism. And if you ask for it, you're going to get it kind of stuff. So I like it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, I think there's a real appetite for that out there, but it's really hard to moderate. It is. And there's a lot of people that are posting and, you know, 
they, they're not actually serious when they say that they're looking for con constructive criticism. And then when they get it, they get really like, well, I wanted it to be that way. So whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, that sounds about right. Yeah. I, th I think almost every other critique site that I've been on is like that. Um, unfortunately. Yeah. It, uh, people don't realize that like receiving criticism is one of those skills that if you're good at receiving criticism, you're going to be a better photographer for it because you know, the, these are people that actually have a fresh set of eyes and they give you an outside perspective on, you know, what you might be overlooking and being able to actually receive criticism well is a good skill to have because it'll make you better. No, I totally agree, man. I've, I've just started every once in a while I'll get stuck or something. So I've been posting some photos over on the um, West coast photographers Facebook yeah. uh, group and, and it's, yeah, it's been really helpful. Like it's a smaller group of people and most of them are really good photographers. So it's, uh, it's, it's it's fun when you can get it and it's actually useful. Yeah, that's probably my favorite group that I'm a part of just because everybody in there is amazing. And so like a lot of times I go in there just to feel humbled. <laughs> like when I'm, well, I'm feeling too good about long. myself, you know, I go in there and like, oh, man, that one's good. Oh, man, that one's good. Everybody seems to be an awesome photographer in that group. Yeah, yeah, totally. Like, I feel exactly the same way. There's no shortage of, of humble pie in that group, for me anyway. <laughs> for sure. Absolutely. It's like served up on a daily basis. Yep. Yep. <laughs> well, so before we get into the nitty gritty, why don't you uh, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself, like uh, who you are, where you live, kind of what, what, you, what you're about, and like kind of, you know, how did you get into this landscape photography thing right on so i'm a full-time photographer which is a pretty decent gig <laughs> um before i was a photographer i was a landscape i was a golf course greenskeeper and nice completely unrelated to photography like in any way and you know i thought i had a pretty good gig then but now now i realize oh this is actually just way way better but <laughs> but um I, i'm one of those guys that shoots a little bit of everything I shoot weddings okay. and portraits and I actually got to photograph an NFL game this weekend. Oh, uh, cool. Pretty, pretty awesome experience. But uh, I also teach a lot of workshops. I sell tutorials. I have a podcast, landscape photography podcast. A lot of people know me from YouTube. I guess I'm just kind of one of those guys that uh, has a whole lot of irons in the fire, but I like it that way. Well, I kind of feel like most photographers have to have a lot of irons yeah. in the fire to some degree yeah if you're if you're gonna do it full-time anyway yeah you are either the guy that specializes to the point where you do one thing you're either like peter lick that i specialize in really expensive prints or you're the guy that is like me who's like I'm just trying to make ends meet and I'll do whatever you pay me to do, <laughs> you know, yeah. especially because I live in Southeastern Washington, which is like a really uh, rural area where it's not a huge market at all. So for portraits and weddings and stuff like that, I, I have to be pretty diverse just because I can saturate my own market. I can only sell to these people so many times before they're like, I, I don't need another photo shoot, Nick. So I kind of have to be a jack of all <laughs> trades. You know, yeah, no, I get that. I thought you were gonna say Peter Lick was a uh, he was specializing in marketing. 
<laughs> no kidding. Because it's oh, I don't I don't want to go too rough there, but yeah, he's an awesome. He's a better. He's a better at marketing than he is maybe at like other stuff. <laughs> oh, I mean, he's a he's a genius marketer. Oh, for sure. dude, for sure. Like that guy's got to <laughs> figure it out. I wish I could, you know, if I could just get a small piece of what he's got going on, I would be amazing. And that that's the thing about photography is <clears throat> I know a lot of guys that have really sweet gigs as far as like selling selling their work to either uh, you know, stock agencies or print publications and stuff. And it's not necessarily that they're the world that they are the world's best photographer it's that they're just really well connected and they're good at networking and they're good at marketing peter lick he's one of those and yeah it's funny i was talking to um i don't even remember who i was talking to the other day but we were talking about this subject and it was like it seems like there are a lot of photographers out there you know that are like reviewing gear and like um and like showing people all the new camera gear and and like all these tutorials on cameras and stuff, but like you look at their photos and they're like terrible. Yeah. And it's like they're they're just really good at promoting themselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and it's kind of the the age that we're in right now, especially like you know YouTube isn't photography based like social media is. So like a lot of people that are, well, I guess YouTube is social media, but I'm talking like Instagram or Facebook. Um, the sure. ones that are photography driven, you can, the, the best photographers kind of rise to the top as far as popularity, um, generally speaking, but in YouTube, <laughs> it's more about who, who can spend a little bit more time on their production of their video and it's it's not nearly as much about the quality of the photography. It's more about the quality of, you know, the content and, you know, how it's delivered sure. and stuff. Um, so, you know, the good photographers, they rule like Instagram and Facebook. But they're, that doesn't always translate into them being wildly successful because just because you're a really good photographer does not mean that you have those sweet hookups like Peter Lick does, you know. I know I have lots of friends with more followers than Peter Lick on Facebook, but they're all poor and he's rich. Well, it's it's I, social media is kind of baffling to me because I feel like I'm pretty good at it. Um, I I was an early adopter and I started using it really early on, and but it's 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 really interesting. Like I was talking to this with um, with Dan Ballard, who I interviewed earlier this week, and. Um, he was telling me about this photographer that he knows that um, like literally every photograph that they have in their portfolio, um, they took on someone else's workshop. Like, they, oh, they I, was, I was hearing stuff about that. Yeah. Which I think, I mean, I don't have a problem with that. I think that's super interesting um, uh, for what, you know, there's, we could probably talk about that all by mm -hmm. itself for a while, but what I think is interesting is when you go look at that person's social media, like they have hundred thousand plus Facebook fans. And I mean, it's just really interesting to like, like how people become well-known on social media. And it's not always because of um, the journey of their photography yeah. or even the quality necessarily of their photography. Like, and certainly not the originality of their photography. Yeah. 
yeah originality yeah. definitely is into criteria it's um for whatever reason they figured out the magic sauce you know? yeah and you know josh cripps i think said it best he, he refers to it as cotton candy photography and that makes me laugh so hard because it's so true you know it's like like he said it's sweet and it tastes good but it's there's no substance to it at all and yeah. and that's the thing is like if if you're the person that you know just goes from workshop to workshop to workshop to workshop and that's where all of your portfolio is coming from. At some point, you, that's going to be not fulfilling to you as a, as a creative person because you're not really creating anything that's like 100% you. Because th those photos that you're creating is like, you know, 50% you, 50% where the workshop instructor took you and went. And, that, sure. and workshops are amazing for... Uh, just getting out and learning from others and getting better and like setting aside time for like dedicated practice. And, and there's so many benefits to workshops, but at the same time, you can't take it too far and do only workshops. At some point you have to go and go on some excursion on your own and go, you know, try to do something hundred percent, you hundred percent creative. That way you come away with photos that you're really proud of rather than photos that somebody kind of held your hand a little bit when you took them. Uh, you know, that's, that's my belief too. But, um, I was talking to my wife about this, who doesn't know a whole lot about photography and doesn't really care anything about photography. And she has an interesting perspective, you know, it's like, you know, we, we don't really know what that person's motivations and what they get out of doing that are like, maybe that, do, taking all those workshops like that fulfills something for them and and who are we to say that they're doing it wrong i mean mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah maybe that I person is that, yeah but. but maybe that person is more driven by the social aspect of a workshop because that's another one of the benefits of going on a workshop is that you know it's a social environment where you're there and you're hanging out with people that are like-minded and you're having fun together and you're doing your thing and it's and sure. a lot of times at workshops that's when people make some of their some lifelong friends um so maybe that maybe in this particular situation that's what it's driven by but on the flip side of that you know i've heard of people taking a workshop from an instructor and then turning around in the next year or two years later and then offering that exact same tour on as their own workshop and then selling out their own workshop that is basically just a copy of the workshop that they went on a couple years before and that's like you know obviously an extreme example of the negative <laughs> hopefully that's not what we're talking about but i've definitely heard of this stuff like that happening well i mean i'm sure that happens a lot uh i'm just curious as a someone who does a lot of workshops and whatnot how do you feel about people doing that yeah i mean i think it's i don't know i i know that i wouldn't do it but at the same time I'm not so sure that I would feel super threatened by that just because hopefully by the time that person's offering a workshop in that place, I'm already kind of burnt out and done leading workshops to that particular place. Cause you know, I don't want to be the, the guy that does the same thing every year. Like this, this is the week that I do my Palouse tour. This is the week that I do my Oregon coast tour. And like, 
you know, you can only do the same thing so many times before it's not fun anymore and it be, actually becomes work. And yeah, the, the whole reason I'm doing photography is not because I want to turn it into like some kind of regimented uh, day job. I want to keep it being fun and, and new. And you, it's hard for somewhere to feel new when you keep going to the same places during the same weeks over and over and over and over again. So I guess I I guess my tours are always going to slowly evolve and change. And I guess for that reason, I wouldn't be feel th super threatened by that particular situation. No, that, that makes sense. So what for other, for people that are wondering, like, what is it, what is it like being someone who's full time with a lot of uh, irons in the fire and doing lots of workshops and selling videos and having YouTube tutorials and, the crazy thing is you don't spend nearly as much time doing photography as you think that you would. I, I think, I mean, I definitely do more photography than I did when I had a day job, but it's, it's crazy how much other stuff you end up having to do. Like, um, for most of the time I have like an assistant that helps me with emails because I receive so many emails that it, if I'm doing it on my own, I, I sit, sit there at the computer for three hours at the beginning of every day, just answering emails. And wow. then I go and try to do something else. And then all of those people have replied back. And then it's just like this treadmill of emails. <laughs> and that part can get a little bit old. And there's just lots of like logistical things like, okay, I booked a, I booked a tour. Now I have to go and book all of those hotel rooms and all of that right. stuff. Being a small business owner, can, the thing about being your own boss is that you will always work for a jerk <laughs> because <laughs> I mean, it's true because like what boss expects their employee to work 60 hours a week and like sometimes you pay them, sometimes you don't. And, and yeah, yeah, yeah and true. I'm going to need you to not only come in on the weekend, but I need you to work till midnight tonight and then get up early and start it all over again. Now, being self-employed has some downsides for sure, but at the same time, I wouldn't trade it for anything. It's just, it can be exhausting sometimes. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I've thought a lot about what it would be like, and I'm still not super convinced that, that, that I'm cut out for it personally, but maybe someday I'll find out. I mean, you have to love it to the point where like it's a good thing that you don't want to do anything else because you won't have time for anything else. You know, I, I know that I would love game of Thrones if I ever had the time to watch it, but I've how what season are we on? And I still haven't had a chance to even watch any of it because I know if I started it, I would want to finish it and just like binge watch it, but I don't get to watch television anymore. I, I work and I, I answer emails and I record tutorials and that's, that's all I've got time in my life for. I don't get to watch TV. Uh, let's, so how much time do you spend uh, recording videos? Well, it kind of depends on the video. Like right now I'm getting ready to do what I'm calling the essential, the essential Photoshop for landscape photography. And it's kind of, you know, geared towards the person that edits in Lightroom and feels intimidated by Photoshop. They're like not super excited to hop over into Photoshop. And so like, I'm trying to, I'm going to be making this tutorial series. That's like, okay, here's Photoshop and here's boiling it down to what you need to know. And you know, I've been using Photoshop for a long time and I was like, Oh, this, 
you know, this will be easy. And then I sit down and I realize, like, when I start, like, writing out the chapters for this thing, holy cow, there's a lot I've got to go through here. And that's going to be a lot of little videos. And so, like, this particular video, it's going to take me probably a couple months of just, right. like, you know, I'll record something, I'll go sit down to edit, and I'll be like, you know, I'm pretty sure I could do that in a more efficient way, or I could explain that in a more efficient way. So I have to scrap that recording, do it again. And it's kind of a crazy process. Some, And that's why I think a lot of people record just like the, you know, start to finish videos, because it doesn't have to be like super, you know, super organized and like, okay, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three, you just being like, you know, I did this because this is what I felt like doing. <laughs> and it's just like yeah, linear that, that way. And, well, and plus like they were, they were going to do it anyway. Yeah, exactly. We might as well just <laughs> record a video of every photo I post process. I would be rich. Um, <laughs> and someday maybe I'll do that, but uh, I, the worst yeah, exactly. And and, you know, I guess my plan of attack here <clears throat> is I want to I know that if I jump right into the advanced post-processing stuff, kind of like I did with my luminosity mass videos, they, it leaves so many people in the dust, like because I would say 85 percent of most people are post-processing in Lightroom and they're like, you know, I'm just not ready for Photoshop. And that's a huge, a huge chunk of you know, my followers. So to leave that many people in the dust is just kind of stupid on my part, you know, even though like I, I love to talk advanced post-processing stuff. Um, it makes sense for me to create a bridge between, you know, the, the people that are in Lightroom and the people that would like to know that other stuff, but Photoshop's host hard. So I might as well, you know, try to bridge the gap and bring everybody along on the journey of super advanced post-processing stuff. So that's kind of my plan of attack anyway. Oh, I think that's a good idea. So how, how did you get into being really into post-processing? Uh, I... I'm one of those people that's just, I don't even know. Um, I'm just one of those people that's really obsessed with just getting better about, you know, doesn't matter what I'm doing. I'm just obsessed with like the, the, the event, you know, the journey of getting better at stuff and post-processing is the same way. Like I started just like everyone else, but then once I learned this thing, I wanted to learn the next thing and then just, you know, just kind of kept it going. So uh, I've probably consumed every single tutorial ever made by most, most people. Like I started with lynda.com and then Kelby one, and then I felt like I outgrew those. And then I started buying tutorials from my favorite post-processors. And uh, I don't know, like <clears throat> most people, when they create a tutorial, it's a very dry experience. You know, <laughs> I don't know how many tutorials we've watched, but a lot of it is just like, very sterile, just staring at a screen capture of people saying, okay, I'm going to do this now. And then you hear their Wacom tab, like, oh, okay. Okay. That, that doesn't look good. I'm going to undo that. <laughs> and you know, it's just a very dry, slow experience. And I've watched so many tutorials in my life that I'm like, you know what? I want to make a tutorial that's actually like engaging in some way to where it's like, you know, moving and things are happening at all times. And I don't know. And that's just kind of how I got into recording it. But yeah, I don't know. That's well, funny because I, I am like 
I'm like the opposite. Like I'm super stubborn and like I I think I've only uh I've only purchased one tutorial and that was the one that came with um TK panels. Cool. Um, so Sean back Sean. And I haven't even finished it yet because like I've been too busy recording podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's time consuming. Like, it Sean's is, videos like, are like very thorough. Like Sean teaches like a like a university you know professor he, he's very he, thorough yeah. he starts here ends here and it's all chapters out but he doesn't he doesn't skip skim over things he like thoroughly explains everything yeah like when i first got into photography back in 2010 2011 um i didn't like it's funny i didn't go online i went to the library and i checked out like every book i could find and then read them all <laughs> wow that's, like, seeing, that's not super efficient <laughs> it probably took a while but that's awesome yeah i don't know why i went that route probably because it was free and i was broke but uh <laughs> i don't know like it's funny how everyone like starts out and what their journey is like because mm -hmm. um if you if you map the trajectory of various people like there's people that started way after i did and like now they're super famous and badass and i'm still like <laughs> i'm still reading I'm your still books nobody. at the public library yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly, dude. this is funny but i also like work full-time so i have an excuse for that but still yeah it's i mean how... it's just kind of the age that we live in like i you know here i am i'm what would be considered a full-time professional photographer i you know teach I talk, I have, te you know, speaking engagements, I'm leading workshops and I bet you, I don't even know how to load film. I've never shot film. I don't even know like how it works. <laughs> and yeah. here I am full-time professional photographer, never taken a college class. Like I would say a large part of my, of my education came from YouTube and that's, it's crazy. We like we this is the the age that we live in and yeah. like you're saying, you know, people can learn it so fast and that's like but okay, so before photography, I was a musician and I was in lots of bands and stuff and I was serious about that too, but the thing that I always hated about music is that a band is only as good as its laziest member. And <laughs> yeah. I, and I always ended up being like the you know, the the papa of the band, like you guys better show up for practice now. And <laughs> you know, if the, if the bass player has a hangover and doesn't make it to practice, the band doesn't get better that day. And so you always have that bottleneck of your laziest members. Sure. And that was one of the things I loved about photography is the only thing that could hold me back is me. The only thing that the, the only thing that was in my way was me because like, I mean, all the knowledge is just out there available, loose hang, dangling out in front of you. Like if you have the gumption to learn it, you can, and you can do it for free. And it's just crazy. So like, I've only been doing photography for five years, I've four and a half years, something like that. Yeah. And here I am, I'm like going to Iceland and, and pretending to be like this amazing long time photographer, but I'm, I've only been doing it for four and a half years, five years. And it's just crazy how fast you can learn stuff. If you, and that's the thing is most of us, and I, I preach this all the time, but most of us spend so much time just like wasting time. Like we're 
watching it's television weird. or sitting in front of the Xbox like I think I'm gonna play some Madden and if you if a person just took all of that time that they dump into the television and and poured that into learning anything it could be badminton you would be the most amazing badminton player in the history of ever if you just took all that television screen time and poured it into something else but we spend so much of our time just admiring the accomplishments of others rather than going out and accomplishing things for ourselves and well we need we need we need consumers of our media as well though Come yeah on, that's like, true you can't you can't have a whole bunch of nick pages or else we'll just all be like yeah well i can do better than that <laughs> <laughs> no but you have a good point i mean i mean i even think about that for myself like um like i probably watch i don't know i probably watch at least four to eight hours of tv a week um but that's like i do that like between 10 or 11 p.m and 12 right and I'm like that's how I wind down and just like that's my guilty kind of pleasure I guess but uh um you're right though like we do as a culture like spit waste a lot of time and I know I wasted most of my 20s playing World of Warcraft yeah <laughs> Yeah, like, that, literally like that's, that's the thing is like when when our brains are like at their peak that's when we waste it the most. It's like I'm either yeah, going to so destroy stupid. my brain with alcohol or with video games or maybe both. Man. <laughs> man, let me tell you, man, I uh, was pretty fucking badass at World of Warcraft. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And yeah. And and there's just not a whole <laughs> lot of practical applications for that down the road. Like it's hard to put that into like a resume like, you know, I'm pretty awesome a world of warcraft i don't want to brag or anything but <laughs> yeah no well it's funny you say that though because um i think back to uh when i played a lot of mmos not that this is an mmo podcast but um mmo is a massively multiplayer online role-playing game okay um world of warcraft is pretty much you know the most famous one and i i've been playing mmos and not anymore but i did a lot ever since i was in college so anyways um uh, if you want to be really good at that, you actually have to be really good at leading other people and communicating mm -hmm. um, because like you're coordinating like 39 other people to, to like do this ridiculous strategy, like all at the same time. So like it taught me a lot about leadership and communication, which is kind of bizarre, but uh, it's true. <laughs> but, <laughs> So it wasn't a total waste of time, I guess is what I'm trying to say. It was a, it was slightly less waste of time than watching TV. <laughs> yeah. At least you're actually doing something like, you know, kind of, and when you're watching television, you're just not doing something. Your brain is just 100% turned off. And that's yeah. That's Yeah, yeah. Totally. It's my range. Well, dude, okay. <laughs> no worries. So, uh let's shift gears a little bit. Um I'm curious, what was your motivation for starting your podcast? Um, so I'd actually done, uh, so I have like an audio engineering background because like I was, you know, I was a musician, so I was kind of into recording bands and I actually went to, uh, the art Institute of Seattle for audio production for a while. Oh, wow. And so, cause I was just all super nerdy about recording bands and, you know, all that stuff. And so because of that, I, I had mics laying around. I've always had mics laying around. And, and because I worked at a golf course, 
audiobooks and podcasts were a huge part of my life because I spent all day, every day mowing. And, <laughs> and you want to talk about mindless work. Holy cow, you're just, you're just driving in a straight line all day long. And so there's <laughs> no brain power needed. So I could listen to all the audiobooks I, I could, you know, handle eight hours of audiobook a day. You can do quite a bit. So I always listen to podcasts. And then when I started, you know, really getting a little bit more into photography, um, I actually got the opportunity to join the improved photography podcast and they were starting this podcast called Portrait Session, and then they started this other podcast called Tripod. And so podcasting be, was just kind of a natural thing for me. I was really into the audio side of things. I'd listened to lots of podcasts. I was really into photography. And, and the one thing that I couldn't do was talk very well. So I'm slow. <laughs> Years later, I, <laughs> I cut down a, a little bit on my ums and uhs. But uh, yeah, that's pretty much how I got into it. It's just I, I I love the audio side of things, and I've always consumed podcasts, so it made sense for me to eventually do it. I guess. So when you started your uh, landscape photography podcast, did you have specific? um goals or objectives in mind in terms of what you wanted to accomplish by doing that podcast well the thing is like a, the pretty much i think the the main reason a lot of us do podcasts is because it's just a w great way of of like interacting and being active in some way with the thing that you love and i i like just nerding out and talking about photography and that's kind of why i have youtube as well and an audio podcast is nice because it's, I don't know, it's because it's audio, you it's more about stories and stuff. And I guess the, the main goal that I had for it was A, to like just, you know, stay involved with the landscape photography community and to like interview people that I look up to and I admire and just to kind of pick their brains about, you know, specific topics and so like my podcast is very much like um i always try to have like a topic of the day like this is what we're going to talk about in this episode kind of thing and and it's really interesting to take that approach and then have someone like okay and today we've got art wolf and we're going to talk <laughs> about composition and like you, those can be some of the most uh, enlightening hours of my life when I'm just like sitting back and chatting with Art Wolf about composition. That's crazy. Or like, yeah, let's talk to Ryan Dyer about creativity. Um, stuff like that is, it's just a great way of me to continue to <laughs> leech off the knowledge of others, I guess. Because <laughs> <laughs> basically at that point, I'm just stealing their knowledge. Like, okay, let's talk about everything that you're good at and you know a lot about. And then I'll just listen a lot. <laughs> I like I like it. That, that makes sense. I mean, uh, the reason I did it is because like I felt like there wasn't a lot of um, people just having like just normal conversations with yeah. other photographers. You know, there's a, yeah, there's and that's what I love about your show is it's like just relaxed, is like hanging out, and drinking a beer, and having a chat. I, like uh, I am drinking a beer. I don't know about you. <laughs> I am actually drinking tea because I am lame. I, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm I'm going to drink a beer after I drink the tea. If that makes me any cooler at all, you have to drink uh, the tea a, before the beer. I'll give you a pass this one time. <laughs> yeah, you're, it's it's all good. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> did you uh did you, did you have any um favorite guests or moments on your podcast um well definitely art wolf yeah. Art wolf is just such a cool guy um i also we i know you also had him on recently too but josh cripps everything yeah, that man. guy says like he's he he's comes from he is and he <laughs> comes from such a similar place mentally as i do like you know his whole thing is that people just take themselves too damn serious and yeah. I, I feel the same way because you know i always keep in mind that somewhere out there somewhere is some dude running a jackhammer and hating life and getting paid less than I probably get paid. And that guy deserves to get paid more than I get paid because he's actually doing something to like, he's doing something important and I get to take pretty pictures and somehow <laughs> I get paid for this. And there's so many stuffy photographers out there that have been doing it. You know, they went to college and they've been doing it all their life. And this is kind of their deal. And they take it very serious and they, they talk about themselves like they deserve everything. You know, they, they are the shit. And I, that's always been really annoying to me. I always wanted to kind of keep the perspective of like, you know, I am lucky. I get to travel and take pretty pictures. I'm just going to not take myself too serious. Yeah, I don't want to be that guy. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's funny. Cause, um, uh, when you're first starting out and you're getting pretty good, it's easy to let it go to your head. Cause I don't know about you, but um, I'm sure other people had this experience where like everyone in your close circle is like, your photos are so amazing. Yeah. Like, like you're so awesome. And and you're like, really? Like, and then it gets, I don't know for me anyway, like kind of went to my head. And then, and then of course, like two years later, I look back, I'm like, no, I was actually pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. The most, the most embarrassing things to go back and like look at are like, you know, one Facebook that shows you a year ago today or two years ago today and, and all of your old photos start popping up and you see these photos that are just awful that you were so proud of. And, oh, yeah, if you, and if you were naive enough to really just like puff your chest out and be like, yeah, I'm pretty awesome. I'm a big deal. I took this photo. And then three years later, you look at that and you're like, my God, I got to delete that photo because that is awful. It, it kind of keeps it keeps you humble looking back and seeing how much you've grown and how much like in three years, I'm going to look at my current photography and roll my eyes. Like, what was I thinking? Like, you know, oh, I don't know dude. you got some pretty good stuff on your website. Well, yeah, but I know that in three years I'll be like, yeah, that old stuff. I can't believe I got to delete that off the website. Uh, we'll see. <laughs> I don't know, man. You got some great stuff, but, uh, I know what you mean. I, I actually purposely keep all of my old photos on Flickr uh, just because I can like go back and look and be like, oh, God, don't do that again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, I'm guilty of like when I see an old really bad photo on Facebook, I, I secretly delete it because <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> man, I can't does. have people seeing that photo. Like, I don't care if that was three years ago. Like, they, that's awful. I got yeah. a reputation to uphold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, another subject I wanted to talk to you about, um, it's super fresh in the news, and, I, and I'm actually thinking about doing a special podcast um, just on this topic, um, kind of break, break from the tradition of the podcast a little. But uh, with you, I was curious, um, 
this week the president released the news that he's going to reduce the size of the national monuments for Bears Ears and, and yeah. Escalante. I'm curious, you know, I don't know. My, my Facebook feed is blown up with landscape photographers that are pissed off about it. Um, and I'm curious, um, as a fellow landscape photographer, what, what does that news kind of done to you? And, uh, like, do you have an op- opinion about that or? I, so the thing is like the, the, some of the biggest worries are that like some of these beautiful places are going to be either owned by private, you know, they're going to be privatized and you'll either lose access or they're going to turn into Disneyland, you know, like right. there's, there's talks of like, you know, paving roads into some of these really remote places where there's not a lot of traffic and it's all pristine for that very reason. Some of these really cool slot canyons. And if you pave a road all the way to it, there's just going to be hordes of people there. And anybody that's been to Antelope Canyon knows exactly the zoo that happens when you pave a road to a, a beautiful place like that. And it's, it's kind of a selfish desire as a landscape photographer because you want some of these really beautiful places to be really hard to get to that way. Not tons of people go, you know, like uh, in the, in the Pacific Northwest, (laughs) a lot of, there's lots of amazing, beautiful waterfalls and the more accessible they are, the, the more trashed they get, you know, that you start having to build big fences around things because people are stupid and they're, you know, just trampling all the moss or like there's uh, places like Panther Creek Falls where, you know, it's a little bit of work to get to. But it, for a long time, it was kind of like this hidden gem and only a few people knew where it were, was. And then then more people knew where it was. And then people are going there. And now like all of the beautiful moss, the, the very thing that made it beautiful is now getting trampled and killed. And. So, you know, in the in this kind of situation, that's one of the worries is that some places will be, turn into Disneyland. Other places, you know, people will just be like, nope, I own this place. Stay out. And like you're going to like have to walk past no trespassing signs to even access some of these beautiful places. Right. So in general, it sucks it, we don't know what's going to happen. Maybe maybe these things won't happen. Maybe nothing realistically will change. But I feel like. Places like that, A, should not be owned by anyone other than the public because beautiful places like that shouldn't be owned by one person. They should be owned by everyone. But, you know, I say that and then I'm like, but I don't want everyone to go. <laughs> That's <laughs> the selfish part, you know? I, like, I totally get it. Um, I was wondering, because um, I agree, uh, I feel like, um, that the national monument concept is a little, I mean, it's the right like idea, but, but part of me feels like it should just become, they should just make them a wilderness area, you know, like, yeah. like find the most, the most amazing parts of those places and just make them wilderness so that you can't drive a car there. You can't fly a drone there. You can't, um, like get there by bicycle. Like you have to work for it and get there and, and it's a wilderness experience and, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's one of the reasons why I live where I live is it's one of the largest wilderness areas in the United States is like 20 minutes away from my house and a Weminuch wilderness area. And I, 
Like, I love the fact that when I go there, I know that I'm not going to see cars. I'm not going to see a ton of people, although you'll see people, but not like hordes and hordes of people. Yeah. And for the most part, wilderness areas do a really great job of, of keeping, quote unquote, keeping the riffraff out, I guess you could say. <laughs> well, you what know? a novel idea to have wilderness areas that are wild. <laughs> you know, like because uh, you know some people think of wilderness areas areas and then they think of yellowstone and yeah, yellowstone right. is not the way it should be that is that is disneyland that is what happens to a beautiful place when you pave the roads and you make it accessible and you turn it into a park and a part of why i like landscape photography so much is because i like to envision what the place was like before humans ruined it you know and I love to go to a place and get away from people and envision what this place was like before, you know, in a time before humans, because there are lots of beautiful places in the world that humans have already ruined. And those places are no longer beautiful. You know, you have Niagara Falls and it's like this giant waterfall surrounded by casinos and junk. And right. someday... You know, all of these other beautiful places are going to be the same way, you know, give it, give it a couple hundred years and it, that's the way it's going to be. And that's part of why I like landscape photography is to go out, get away from people and try to envision what nature was like before humans screwed it up. And, and the, and that's kind of the fear with stuff like this is that it's either going to get screwed up because it's too accessible or nobody's going to get to enjoy it and it's just going to turn into private land. And, you know, then there's the whole thing of like, you know, there's a lot of people that look at look at the natural resources underneath all that beautiful land and be like, I want to I want to dig for, you know, dig for oil underneath those beautiful things. I don't care about how beautiful the area is. There's money under there and I'm going to get it. And, you know, that's another worry as well. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, it's there's obviously not a lot of simple answers. Otherwise, we'd be there. It'd be like that would be what we always did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it sucks. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you about because I've seen uh, I think you and uh, Josh Snow and Sarah Marino and Aaron Babbitt mm -hmm. post about uh, out of Moab, which is like next year, and I was curious, 2018. I was curious, what is that about and kind of what is your involvement in that? Yeah, so Out of Moab is happening in October, and I don't know if it's sold out, but it's really, really close already. But um, wow. it's going to be happening in Moab, and it's basically a landscape photography conference where it's going to be, I think it's a four-day conference where throughout the day people are giving presentations like, you know, Aaron will be talking about composition likely. I'll be talking about luminosity masking. Uh, you know, there's going to be all these amazing speakers there talking. And then in the mornings and the evenings and the late afternoons, where all the instructors go out and they lead excursions to various places. So the participants... They get to be like, okay, well, I'm going to go out with Sarah Marino in that morning. And then that evening, I'm going to go out with Joshua Cripps. Maybe I'll go out with Nick Page the following day. And then I'll go out with Aaron Bobnick in the evening. Oh, Thomas Heaton's leading one in the morning. And so you get to pick and choose who you go out with every morning and every evening. And then you listen to presentations throughout the day. And then uh, this year at Acadia, 
they had like Sony and Olympus and stuff. And they were just, they were just like loaning out gear for the day. Like, Hey, you want to take a Sony a nine out on your shoot? Here you go. And it was cool. Like I was trying out Sony's and Olympus's and it's really cool. So yeah, we're going to be doing that. It's going to be at arches and Canyon lands, a beautiful area. It's going to be pretty cool. Yeah. I was, uh, I was thinking about trying to to make it out there because I think it would be cool to meet a bunch of these people in person. I've met several of them in person, but uh, you know the it's not the same <laughs> if you do the <laughs> podcast or whatever. Yeah, and what's cool about these events is that for one, like this is a landscape photography only conference which that never happens it's usually like you have to go to a conference and then sit through three talks about portraits and two talks about street photography before you get to the one really nerdy landscape photography guy you know but this one's going to be all landscape photography and then you go there and like when you sit down for breakfast you're sitting next to thomas heaton like hey what's up and then you know you got joshua cripps across the table and it's just like hanging out with people for the four days and the whole time you're like I wonder how awkward it'd be if I asked for a selfie. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's, it's cool in that way. Literally everyone else is thinking the same thing. Like there's someone there that they really admire. (laughs) Yeah. And that's, that's the way it feels for me. Like when Josh was on your show, he talked about the imposter. What would he refer to it as? The imposter complex. Yeah. And that's exactly how I feel. Like at this last one, I was, I was up on stage with Brian Peterson, Aaron Bobnick, and Thomas Heaton. And the whole time I'm thinking, what am I doing on this stage? Like, <laughs> you know, this is just crazy. They must have made a mistake. But it's so cool. And it's and it's for me, it's really odd to like go there and then just have this steady stream of people come up and like really liked your video about this or, you know, like I've been following you for a long time or like I own your backpack and your tripod and your ball head in the same lens because, because I talked about them on YouTube That's awesome. and it's, it's, it's so cool. And it's so surreal. Um, like social media, when you see the number of your followers, it just feels like some random made up number. But then when you go to these conferences and you start meeting people that you know from social media, some is suddenly is real to you and like, oh, those are actually real people that I follow or follow me. It's really cool to meet people face to face at stuff like that. Yeah, no, I think I think that would be a lot of fun to go to for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, well, you've listened to the podcast a few times, so I think you probably know it's coming. Uh so I'm curious, uh, based on the name of the podcast, um, F-Stop, Collaborate, and Listen, what advice do you have for other landscape photographers? Oh, man. I would say the the biggest thing is, like, they, I, I refer, because I have this musician background, um, I'm constantly, like, throwing it back to a music reference. And... A lot of people, like when you're learning to play guitar, you learn someone else's songs, right? Like you start playing Smoke on the Water and sure. Smells Like Teen Spirit or whatever, you know? And you learn by, exactly, play a little free bird, man. <laughs> and, uh, and you start by playing other people's music. But there comes a time when you're either going to be in a cover band and playing bars or you're going to start writing your own music 
and like actually start drawing real fans and start doing something original and creative. And photography is the same way. Like you have to start off by emulating someone, find people that you like, just like a musician has their influences. A photographer can have their influences. I'm going to take a little bit of Enrico Fassati, mix it with a little bit of David Thompson and, you know, and take all of these different influences and then eventually start branching out on your own and try to create something original based off of all your different influences. And that at that point, that's when it's going to start feeling like it's your photography and not just some cover of some other person's photography. <laughs> so, you, you know, you don't want to be a cover band photographer. You want to be an original photographer right in your own music. And I guess that's, that's my input is that, you got to, at some point, start branching out on your own and trying to explore what it means to do something that is your style. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I can think of uh, when I first got started, like, there was a lot of photographers that, uh, you know, that that were super influential to me and, and I was trying to copy. And, and I think it's also important, like, pick wisely, <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, little Jethro Tull with a little Miley Cyrus. Yeah, right. Like, <laughs> yeah. There's some there's some photographers that I was trying to copy early on. I won't name any names, but uh let's just say I got I got hot and heavy into the HDR thing and uh that definitely derailed <laughs> and it was me. dark times. That derailed me for, for a couple of years there actually. So um uh thanks to you guys who uh promote that bullshit. Um <laughs> Thanks for ruining two years of my life. Yeah, exactly. He still has PTSD over HDR. Yeah, I mean, like photomatics. Damn you, photomatics. Oh, <laughs> ruined everything. Yep. <laughs> so, uh, last question. Um, who would you like to hear on the podcast? I mean, you're a podcaster, so you've you've interviewed a lot of people that I haven't interviewed. So I'd be curious who you think would be good for, for this style of podcast. Man, you have, you've had so many people on though. I'm not sure everybody you've had on, um, thinking back to people that you've had on that maybe you haven't had on <laughs> already, uh, man, Justin Resnick, he's always got good information. He's a, he's a fun guy. Who else? Have you had Th Thomas Eaton on? No. Dude, Thomas is great. Thomas is great because, well, for one, he's got the most amazing accent of all accents. So <laughs> he's a UK guy, so you can't beat the accent. <laughs> and he's he's somebody that is not just going out and grabbing the the obvious wide angle shot that everybody else gets. He he's kind of more into like grabbing little vignettes and and little intimate landscapes and stuff. And his his YouTube channel is probably my favorite YouTube channel on all of YouTube, just because he does lots of behind the scenes vlogs of all of his trips and and really cool guy, really cool guy. So I'd say Thomas Eaton. Okay, cool. I like it. Uh, those are definitely two people I don't I hadn't had on my radar yet. So that's awesome, bro. Cool. Well, man, it's been it's been really fun. Uh, freaking time flies, man. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for, for sure. Thanks for coming on the podcast, dude. I really appreciate it.